Yeah, I, I went really deep on Lawrence. Really deep. <laughs> really deep. Push it real deep. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Formula America podcast with your host, Kurt and Dylan. And today we wanted to do something a little bit different. You know, it's obviously we're two weeks into this break now with nothing else going on in Formula One. And Dylan and I were discussing the rise of Aston Martin. And we wanted to kind of look in and break down what has led to this rise and try to answer the question whether or not this is the beginning of a dynasty. And when and will Lance Stroll get his world title? When, how soon until just Lance Stroll is world champion? Never. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, so looking into this, I actually learned a lot more about this team and the history of the team. And uh, I could, you know, potentially see myself becoming an Aston Martin fan. Yeah, it's got a whole lot more history driver. than I really expected it to. Like, it was cool. I kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit. You know, Aston Martin first debuted in 1959. They had a car in 59 and 60. In the original. Oh, wow. Um, like Aston Martin, the brand. Yes. Aston Martin was in the brand themselves, as they are currently today, was in Formula One in 1959 and 1960. And so I kind of went down that rabbit hole a little bit, but yeah, they've got a really cool history. Um, uh, it's and the, the racing team. I think this was one of the harder things to like get into in Google is like, it's, it's Aston Martin now, but it's also been racing point. It's been force India. It's been all these other things. Like how do you track the, right. how, what do you Google to get the whole story of the <laughs> overarching team? You gotta be a detective. Uh, yeah, you know, do. most teams are like that though. Like Red Bull was Jaguar, Mercedes was Braun, you know, so yeah. They all keep changing. Except for there's only four that haven't changed. Let me guess. Ferrari? Yep. Williams. Yep. That's all I uh Haas. Haas, yep. <laughs> and McLaren. What's the other one? McLaren, yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. But yeah, uh, I think it's pretty cool, like just kind of kicking it off. Like, so Aston Martin was in there in Formula One in 1959 and 1960. And basically, they sucked, didn't score a single point. Um, car broke all the time, which I, I think was a whole lot more prevalent in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. But uh, basically, they gave it a good old try for two years, never scored a point, and, and hung it up. Um, <laughs> but they had their own chassis, their own engine, their own development, whole nine yards. Um, which kind of kind of which is kind of cool because it led to things like, you know, the iconic DB4, DB5s, and oh yeah, you know, like it, it is still rooted in racecraft. Um, they built that car from the ground up in the 50, 59 and sixties, so that was kind of cool. I thought um, you can kind of see some of the, you know, uh, DNA that went into the DBS and the DB4s and the DBs and all those beautiful cars. Yeah, they are. Well, the, Still, name, the chassis that name they used in 1959 was the DBR4. For the race car? Yeah, it was the DBR4 oh, wow. and the DBR5. That's awesome. Yeah. So, thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but then they went away. They ran away from Formula One, um, and they didn't come back until 2018 to be a title sponsor with Red Bull. Um, the owner at the time is apparent, was trying to get into F1 starting in like 08. But, you know, and F1 said they could come in as their own team. They're like, no, um, it wasn't the right time. They So they wanted a title sponsor, but they couldn't figure out, you know, which one to go with. And so it wasn't until 2018 that the name Aston Martin came back. 
Um, and so they were title sponsors on Red Bull till 2020. And then, you know, 2021, they moved and became the Aston Martin F1 team. Um, so I'm going to remember I, that I wanted to put a pin in Aston Martin there. And now let's go to the team that they took over in 2021, the car that they okay. took over the history there, um, which started as Jordan Grand Prix Racing in 1991. Um, and they had a good long run for like 14 years in Formula One. Not a very successful run, but, you know, they were around for a while. Um, <laughs> basically, their best season was in 1999. They had two wins, and they were third in the Constructors' Championship. And then it kind of fell back off again. So that was their they had one halfway decent year. Um, and then kind of the shenanigans of ownership took over. So they got sold to Midland Group in 2005 and became Midland F1 Racing. Then they were sold to Dutch Spiker Cars in 2006 and became Spiker F1 in 2007. So they were Midland Racing for two years. And in 2007, they become Spiker. And Wait, then is that they, Spiker like the electric car? Uh, I don't know. It's the Dutch company, Spiker Cars. Interesting. I wonder if it is. Um, I don't know. I didn't make that connection. But it yeah. is. It, it is. is. Yep. Yep. So they were Spiker F1 for all of 2007, and they were sold to business, Indian businessman Vijay Malia. <laughs> Vijay Malia. V what a character he was. Vijay Malia. <laughs> Vijay. <laughs> okay, Vijay J. Children. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember him from Drive to Survive? Yes, I do. <laughs> Dude, he was a character. So Force India is born in 2008. They took a pole position in 2009. They took six podiums and became fourth in the constructors in 2016 and 2017. And Force India was around for 10 years, 10 and a half years. Um, and then in 2018, uh, they got put into an administrative role as a result of... Uh, undisclosed financial and legal issues for Vijay and uh yeah Mr. Vijay wasn't paying his taxes <laughs> yeah all assets it were then purchased by Racing Point which is owned by Lawrence Stroll and then a couple years later we became Aston Martin so that's kind of like the the real top high level overview of going from Jordan Grand Prix through their Force India time Racing Point and becoming Aston Martin yeah. And now it seems like with Aston Martin and Lawrence Stroll, they're going to, you know, they've got this long lineage, but it's almost like he's doing a clean break. He's got the new factory coming and it's just like a brand new team, almost like new DNA. So I'm excited for the future on that. Yeah, very much. They talked about that with Racing Point. When Racing Point bought out all the assets from Force India, the name wasn't allowed to transfer. So it became Racing Point Force India, but it wasn't force india's team anymore is racing point so even though like the name was still added it was added as like a sponsor mm -hmm. not as a not as a like the constructor itself um and that's where lawrence stroll kind of took over and started changing clean shop um and i think a lot Wonder. of that was due to the developmental genius that is his son lance <laughs> father will you buy me a team a Formula One team, please. Please, Daddy. <laughs>
But, uh, I mean, Force India had a pretty good run. I mean, 2016, 2017 were their best uh, best seasons. They were on six podiums. Um, you know, that's, that's not a huge amount, but it's something. It's better than how Williams has done in the past decade. Um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, pink. Um, had some drivers, interesting driver lineups. Like, it, it wasn't a bad run. I think it's those are kind of the highlights. Jordan Grand Prix being around for forever and then Force India and then Racing Point when they brought on Sergio Perez was how Perez made his name to get into Red Bull. Like Yeah. Um they had a Remember he had that, Yeah, they did. And it wasn't bad. And then they did uh what was it Racing Point twenty twenty? Is that when they came out with the pink Mercedes? Yeah. And that car was, you know, somewhat decent as well. It was a complete copy of the two thousand nineteen Mercedes car, but Hey, flattery or imitation is the best form of flattery. It worked pretty yeah, well. Right. So that with Racing Point, when I started watching Drive to Survive, I remember that was what really made me kind of start my dislike for Lance Stroll because when uh, Lawrence Stroll took over the team after VJ had to sell it, um, it seemed like, you know, obviously one of them, either Perez or Ocon, was going to lose the seat so the yeah. Stroll could come in. And it seemed like Ocon was a better driver than Stroll and then wound up losing his seat to Stroll because of his dad. But now it's like, I'm not the biggest Ocon fan. I would actually prefer Lance Stroll. If I had to, if I had to pick one, like we're playing dodgeball and it's Lance Stroll and Ocon, I think I'm picking Stroll. Oh God. I don't know who I, I'd probably be like, you guys can have both. Cause Stroll yeah. will probably take Ocon out and it'll, you know, make it an even. We'll just play a man down. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, that's but pretty interesting. I mean, I, I dove into Lawrence Stroll a lot. I think that Lawrence Stroll is kind of the I, I don't I think everyone can agree and see it. Like Lawrence Stroll is the heart of the change of the team. Um for sure. You know, where did he come from? Um, which is hilarious because his background's not anything that you would expect. He's not like Toto Wolf, who grew up as a race car driver, you know, was an owner in Williams, was an owner in all these other things, and um like it's kind of the polar opposite, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. Um, like I never knew he got started in fashion. Not, I did not know that either. Not and in the fashion lineups that, so his father, Leo Strolovich strolls, actually oh. not their real name. Their, their last name's actually Strolovich. They should have went with that. That sounds right. much stronger hey, than Stroll. Especially with his <laughs> hardcore RBF. Like it, yeah, oh, for sure. It, you, know, you could have Darth Strolovich up there and have Lawrence walk in the room and everyone be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I wonder if Lance's name is Lancelot. It'd be like Lancelot Strolovich. <laughs> oh, How awesome that would that be? <laughs> be? So good. That'd be his name from forever on on Formula America podcast. <laughs> um, so his father was responsible for bringing Pierre Cardin and Ralph Lauren to Canada. Ralph Lauren, the clothing brand? Yep. Interesting. He brought that to Canada. And then Lawrence took over the family business, and he took Ralph Lauren to Europe. That was how he got his kind of start. And then uh, uh, Lawrence and a Hong Kong investor, Silas Chow, um, invested in and basically bought Tommy Hilfiger and Michael Kors and really launched those two onto the scene. Um, huh. 
And then, so just kind of to wind up his fashion high, high level, right? So Michael Kors was the interesting one. He bought Michael Kors for $100 million in 2003. And then he made his billions when he took it. He took it public in 2011. And I didn't get into like how much he made in that. But when he cashed out and took out, sold all of his shares in 2014, he was worth $2.6 billion. Jesus. So does yeah. he still have anything to do with Tommy Hilfiger? Nope. Got rid of, sold off his, in 2014, he like cut with the fashion industry. Or I think he did a couple little things. And then like in 18, it was yeah. completely out of the fashion industry and over to racing. Um, ah. Which he had a, a history in racing as well. Um, in t- 2000, he bought the Canadian racing circuit, Circuit Mont Tremblant in Quebec. <laughs> So he's owned, terrible. He sold it for he sold it in 2022. So for 22 years he owned a racing circuit in Quebec. Um and then he also I couldn't find a whole lot of information on this and it might just be the nature of the beast. He owned a Ferrari dealership in Montreal. Hmm. And he has a huge Ferrari collection. It's 1968 250 GTO. Like he's got a giant uh Ferrari collection and uh owned a Ferrari dealership for a number of years, I couldn't figure out how many or like how good of a Ferrari dealership it was, but <laughs> like, that's kind of where he's apparently always been a bit of a gearhead, you know, started out with the racing circuit and owning a Ferrari dealership. And now he owns F. So he had racing point, which was a conglomerate. And then that conglomerate, uh, bought 16.7% of Aston Martin in 2020 and that's when like the transition happened because racing point bought into aston martin as a whole now right. the amount of money bought in is up for a small debate debate the consensus seems to be about 182 million but there's several magazines that also quoted 235 million so Jeez. either way and pocket so either way they own a good portion of aston martin 17 percent of aston martin and now he's the CEO of Aston Martin because of that. Yep. And so then they, from there on out, they've been Aston Martin. But because they kind of bought into uh, Formula America, Formula America, <laughs> Force <laughs> India. Yes, this is Force India was based out of Silverstone. So when Racing Point bought it, it got you know everything that went with it to include you know, all of their factories and whatnot at Silverstone. And that's why Aston Martin today kind of coming full circle, ironically with owned by an Indian businessman and owned by, you know, then a Canadian conglomerate and then bringing it back home to Aston Martin and an English British based company at Silverstone. Um, So I wonder if that had anything to do with the decision to purchase it, but maybe, I don't know. Yeah. It's smart though. It's really smart. It is. I, I kind of feel like this is probably how a lot of F1 teams went, though. Like, you don't perform very well. Your value goes down. You get bought out. Someone buys you out, and they don't realize how much money they're going to have to invest. And then they're like, oh, screw this. They sell. <laughs> Someone else is like, oh, I'll buy it. And, you know, Spiker Cars, which you've heard of. I don't think I've ever heard of them. And they're <laughs> for one year, and they're like, ooh, bad, bad marketing decision. Bought, backed out. Then some rich business dude comes along and is like, I like cars and my son likes to drive and buys it. Whether you're Vijay or Lawrence. <laughs> oh, Vijay. Vijay. So, 
and that's kind of you know looking at that i was when we started researching for this i was kind of looking at um the rise of aston martin and seeing if i could find any parallels between that and the rise of mercedes yeah and so it's there's a few key points you know it's not a mirror image by any means but there was a few key points that i think maybe are kind of like the recipe for success um so mercedes also like aston martin they were in formula one in like the 50s you know long long time ago um but largely after that they weren't in formula one until 2009 now they had a partnership with mclaren for a while but they weren't a works team and then mclaren had some issues you know in the the late 2000s um and kind of like the if you're familiar with the spygate issue and some other you know driver related issues and they didn't want to be part of that um controversy i guess didn't so they McLaren get fined a hundred million dollars? It was a huge fine. I don't know the exact numbers, it was but yeah, it was a lot of money. Dollars. It was the highest fine ever leveled against yeah, the team. It was a lot to the point where there was a lot of talk where McLaren might not be in Formula One anymore. Um, you know, after the I think 2014 season, it was rumored that that would be their last year for a while. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so back then, Mercedes, when they were looking to split with McLaren, they ended up buying Braun GP, who's owned by Ross Braun, who's now or was pretty high up in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a team and they were pretty successful. I want to say it was 2009 or 2008, sorry, when they won the Constructors and the um, the Drivers Championship, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but they also didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of yeah. sponsors, financial backing. So he wanted to sell the team. So Mercedes made him an offer and bought the team kind of like Aston Martin or, you know, racing point or whatever, how they bought teams that weren't performing or that needed help. Um, and then here's the big part is they acquired Patronus as their title sponsor. Mm-hmm. So now they had Braun GP. This they bought a team. Then they brought in a big sponsor, kind of like how Lance Stroll or Lawrence Stroll came in and then brought in Aston Martin and all that. So they had money. They also, this is the part that was interesting to me. Michael Schumacher returned. So they yes. had a former championship winning driver who came back and drove for them and helped them to develop the car and all that. Kind of like Fernando Alonso. Um, and then so kind of like seeing these little similarities, it's not much that goes on beyond that where, where it parallels, but just those, you know, few similarities I thought was pretty interesting to see how Mercedes then went on to be extremely dominant. It took them a few yeah. years. But they started very early on developing for the new regulations for the turbo hybrid era. So they hit the ground running when it came time for the new engines. Um, So now I'm kind of looking at Aston Martin and trying to see if this is kind of similar. Like maybe this is what's going to propel them to, you know, become a a new dynasty. Because you look back, there's always dynasties, right? You you got the Ferrari era, got the early Red Bull era, then the Mercedes era. Yeah, McLaren. And I'm wondering, could this potentially be the beginning of the Aston Martin era? So yeah, Braun won in 2009 the FIA World Championship um, with Jensen Button and Rubens Barrichello. Yep. So there you go. And then 2010, Mercedes took over. Yeah. So they had what four years with the V8 engines, and then they switched over to the turbo hybrid, and then Mercedes dominance just yep took off. But I remember even on Top Gear, um, back then, uh what's his name? Lewis Hamilton went on top gear the year he was transitioning to the Mercedes F1 team and everyone mm-hmm. was making fun of him. They were like, you yep. are an idiot for doing so. Every, everybody thought it was the worst move ever. And now look, and so a, a lot of that, I also looked into that too. Um, there's a lot of speculation 
that there's two camps, two, uh, two schools of thought. One of them was that he was fed up with McLaren and all their reliability issues and everything else. And he wanted to move on, right? They had a slow car. He wanted to move on. So you're saying you have a driver with a lot of talent on a team that has terrible strategy and a lot of reliability issues, and he wanted to move on, and everyone thought that was crazy? Thought it was crazy. Why would you leave McLaren for this young upstart? So then the other school of thought is that uh, Mercedes brought him in and showed him all the work that they were already doing for the new era, the new turbo hybrid era. And like, look, we've already got nobody else is is developing for this car yet, right? We're yeah. gonna let these next couple of years kind of slide by, and then we're gonna hit the ground running as soon as this uh, new regulations drop. And so the other school of thought is they they brought him in and showed him what they were doing, and that he kind of knew it was an educated move. Um, but either way, he obviously got the last laugh. You know, arguably the most successful Formula One driver of Ever. all time at this point. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Yeah, the rest is history. But I mean, I don't think that there's a couple of similarities, but unfortunately for Aston Martin, the teams that are taking over of Racing Point and Force India. Well, I should we should lump in Racing Point and Aston Martin because it's kind of the same ownership, just different flag names, really. So I mean, yeah. the problem with those guys is they took over Force India that didn't have a great car. You know, it wasn't, and they were hoping, I think, to turn it around. And now they have, right? So we might be seeing the start of it, kind of like you were just saying that, you know, bringing Fernando Alonso, which everyone thought was insane, which is ironic since Fernando Alonso and Lewis were teammates back in the day. (laughs) But uh, they went from a crap car, letting a few years slide by with Sebastian Vettel helping them to develop it to hands down on merit, the second fastest car on the track this year. Yep, they broke into that that elusive club of the uh, the top teams, and now it's a top four instead of a top three. Yeah, it really is. Well, I mean, depending if you count Ferrari in there, yeah, still Ferraris. <laughs> I was like, how long do we, does Ferrari have to flounder before we consider them not a top team anymore? The problem with Ferrari and the top, they have the speed to be a top team. They just constantly shoot themselves in the foot. <laughs> with reliability and strategy so yeah both of them sometimes you know with getting penalties on uh, the last lap and then having to cry about it while we all watch (laughs) like the meme it's like it's the most carlos signs thing ever to get a penalty on a lap that didn't exist (laughs) (laughs) who's that dude that does the imitations he already did one for carlos connor moore yeah (laughs) it's so funny It's so good. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to that guy because that stuff is hilarious. Yeah, that guy, right. talk about making it big in a niche world where now he's invited to half of the F1 stuff just to imitate the drivers. It's hilarious. I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll see. I mean, we might be at the start of a dynasty. Um, I think Lawrence Stroll has obviously had a history. Uh, I mean, you don't really need to be a uh, a car engineer to know how to run the business. And it seems like Lawrence Stroll right. has a, a vast history of running businesses very, very successfully. Um, yeah. And he's shown he's doing it now. I mean, everything going on behind the scenes in Aston Martin points to a title contending team with new factories, new technology, new everything like. Uh, yeah. So let, let's get into that a little bit in the future, right? So he's got, 
there's two main features or factors I think that are going to lead to their success. So he's already came out and said, he's got a five-year plan. This was, I think we're on year two of that plan to be a title contending car. Um, and those two main factors that he lined that he outlined were personnel and the, the factory. So he's already brought on, let's see, we've got Dan Fallows from Red Bull. So we brought him on Adrian Newey's former number two guy. Yep. Um, he brought on Martin Whitmarsh, who is the former, uh, essentially you could think of him as Zach Brown replaced him at McLaren. Yeah. He was the former CEO and he ran McLaren. So they brought him on. And then they also brought on Mike Crack, who <laughs> is just Mike Crack, who has actually got a pretty, he's also got a pretty good history in Formula One. He's just, I don't really uh, know what he does funny at name. Aston Martin, but he, you know, he's the team principal that has a funny yeah. name that they show on camera a lot. <laughs> And then, so they did all that, and now they've got this $200 million factory coming online that I think that's going to be the big key to their success because, you know, one thing I didn't think about until recently was this factory is being built with the cost cap in mind. So all these other teams, like Mercedes, their factory was, you know, running efficiently or running well back when they could spend $400-plus million on their car every season and just outspend everybody else. Well, now they're having to find ways to, like, cut costs. This, so uh, is Aston that factory fact, included in development costs? Is that part of the budget cap? I don't think so. Okay, I, I, I have to I have to look that up, but I don't think it is. Yeah, I didn't think um, so. But it's so it's it's everything in this factory is made with efficiency and with like teamwork uh, in the DNA or in the bones of the factory. So everything that's going to happen there is going to be easier. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to run smoother. It's doing a lot of co-work spaces. So everybody's together instead of before where they had all these different departments that didn't really speak to each other. So now everybody's going to be able to come together. And that's a huge thing where he's looking at making things more efficient, making things better in the factory, increasing morale. And then, you know, by all reports, everybody at that team is super happy. So, I mean, it's It's hard not to to me. That's going to be, oh, for sure. Yeah, you got a brand new factory. You've got a car that's been on the podium for three races in a row so far. And they're going to have their wind tunnel, which they're saying is going to allow them to have three three additional upgrades per year by Jeez. having their own wind tunnel. And that's going to put them on, on par with Mercedes, whose, current, whose wind tunnel they're currently using, right. Mercedes, Red Bull, and all that. So they're expecting to close that gap to Red Bull and then be able to essentially match them and, and battle with them a lot more closely in the next coming years. That'll be a ton of fun. Like it, I, I would love to get back to... What was it? Oh eight that Kimi Raikkonen won the world championship by a point. Like, yeah, where it's super close. Yeah, it'd be super fun to get back to stuff like that. I mean, we all I think we all have to at this point focus on midfield teams because that's where the racing's happening. Otherwise, oh, yeah. so, it's just like there goes Max. Bye. Yeah, everybody talks about how boring it is, and it's like just don't focus on that. Max yeah. is just imagine Max is just out front, just clearing the path for everybody else. And then that's where your race starts is that number yeah. two and beyond. Just let him go. He's gone. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. It'd be fun to get that title contending back up at the front. I mean, look at if we could have Mercedes Aston and a Red Bull uh, up there competing. Cause honestly, I don't see Ferrari. They, they're just not like you look at the trajectory of Aston Martin, the things that Lawrence Stroll is saying, the trajectory of, um, Mercedes, what Total Wolf is doing, and even the trajectory of Red Bull, like they are all on an upward moving trend of continuing yep. to develop in the right direction. Then you look at Ferrari and I, I, they're talking about it. I'm not seeing it though. 
All right, so here's a question for you. Aston Martin continues on this path, and two years from now, they are they're fighting for wins. They're they're doing really well. Fernando Alonso is at the end of his career. He finally retires. Who's going to Aston Martin? You've got Charles Leclerc up there. Is he going to leave? Is Lando potentially going to leave? Are they going to bring somebody else up? I don't know. Is, is... I, I, if, I don't see Lando leaving anytime soon. And the big right. reason for that is I don't see in the budget cap era anybody being able to afford to buy out that contract he just signed. Right. Um, Leclerc, on the other hand, like I'm making, I was making jokes earlier about the young kid with a lot of cha- talent that everyone thought was stupid <laughs> for leaving the uh, unreliable team that was supposedly really good. Like that could be Leclerc. Um, I could see that. I, it would. The hardest thing is, and it's, I mean, I guess it's part of the politics of the game is you're not going to replace Fernando. And if you're planning in two years to be that contender, you know, you need a driver that's going to start now. And I don't think that driver's Lance, but I also don't see daddy stroll firing Lance. Uh, like we've, we talked about this earlier in the earlier in the year, how bad does Lance have to do before daddy stroll cuts him off? Right. How bad does he uh. have to get? Like if, if Fernando's on every single podium and Lance is down there getting P seven through P 10 every time. Ooh. And you have someone like, maybe Le- like Leclerc, Looking for a spot. Yep. How bad does Lance have to do? I think if if Lance is costing them constructor championships, then maybe Lawrence Stroll goes and buys Williams or Haas and <laughs> lets Lance go race there. But I mean, we have to get. Or do we have to get to that point where they are actively losing out because Lance is that bad, or is the writing on so. the wall? And. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Lawrence, for all intents and purposes, seems to be a businessman. Like, if he you're is, looking yeah. at the business, you have a Fernando and you have a Leclerc. Like, it's, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's the other thing with Fernando. How long does he drive? Is does does he have to? Well, I, I think once he starts underperforming or stops performing, that they'll probably get rid of him. But I don't see Fernando retiring anytime soon. Not if this car keeps driving the way it is. So his if he's fighting contract for contract is through twenty twenty four. So he's got a contract through next year. So he signed a two year contract. That makes sense. So I wonder. Yeah, I mean, you're getting up there in age. I think that you're not going to put somebody in a long term contract at that point. But now, so the question I think is, does Fernando wind up leaving as a driver and replace him, or is does he stay and Lance winds up underperforming and leaves? But again, I I just don't see that. He's the son, even though his dad is a businessman. I don't know. I don't see that either. I don't know. Seeing that contract through 2024, it's interesting. But if Aston Martin and Alonso are actively fighting for wins and potentially a world championship, do you yeah. leave? No, hell no, not Fernando, yeah. not Alonzo. He's, I mean, <laughs> I don't see him leaving though, so I don't know. Now we're gonna have to have a conversation with. It's interesting. It'll be fun. So I think that all in all, Aston Martin, from our projections, has a ton of potential to be challenging Red Bull in the next year or two. So to answer the question at the beginning, 
Is this the beginning of a dynasty? God, it's hard. Like when you say the beginning of a dynasty, I think, you know, Ferrari, Michael Schumacher, I think Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton, where when you look up who's winning every single race and constructors championship, that's the name you see. I think that, you know, Red Bull had a small dynasty and Red Bull's currently on a dynasty. Mm -hmm. Is Aston Martin going to be able to knock Red Bull off the top consecutively? I don't know. Red Bull's looking really good. They are. So for me, I think that they are. I think the spark has been lit. Yep. But I think the, like what you were saying, when you look back at dynasties, Schumacher, uh, Lewis Hamilton, things Vettel. like that. Yep. I think when Aston Martin gets a younger driver, whether that be, you know, somebody like Charles Leclerc or somebody else that's up and coming that can grow and rise with them, I think that's when it's really going to flourish. So I think that we might be in the infancy right now, but it's going to take a little bit. Because, I mean, you could but get... I, I, a, could, I could foresee it. You could get a Nicky Lauda at Ferrari where they didn't win every year, but you knew that they were an absolute challenger during that entire time. Same thing with, you know, Senna, Prost, all those guys. Like, you you might be getting a dynasty in the in the sense of being a contender, but I don't see absolute dominance like Schumacher, like Hamilton, like Vettel over an extended consecutive time. Well, maybe that's a, another thing, too, is now that we're in the cost cap era, a lot of those dynasties, I think, probably came because you had teams that were able to outspin you know, everybody. Outspin like Mercedes did. Right. So now that we're in the cost cap area era, maybe they're maybe it's the death of the dynasty. Right. Maybe, maybe. It's, you're just going to have a bunch of teams that are consistently good and constantly fighting for for wins and championships and honestly that was which the whole is point exciting of cross cap like exactly that's what we want that's what everybody wants so you want to go into a weekend and not know who's going to be on that top step or or who's going to be on the podium yeah i think I, that's exciting I, I i totally do too so i think in summary the beginning of a dominant dynasty no but the beginning of an absolute challenger and contender, if you have the right drivers, yes. Well, there you have it. You heard it here first, obviously. <laughs> All right. Well, that was interesting. I actually, you know, we hadn't talked, we hadn't shared notes much before this. Yep. So I actually learned a lot about Lawrence Stroll that I didn't know. And like I said at the beginning, man, I, I can see myself becoming more of an Aston Martin fan. You know, I've always, it's always been my favorite, like, supercar manufacturer has been Aston Martin. Yeah, I think it was I probably from the James Bond movies as a kid. Um, But yeah, I could definitely see myself becoming more of an Aston Martin fan as soon as they get that next driver, though. I like the Fernando hype train and all that, but I want somebody that I can kind of grow with, you know, as a fan. I love the Alonzo uh, hype train. I really just want a different color on the car. I know you love it. I don't like that green. No, I, I agree too. I, I, I like the car. I think it's beautiful, but it doesn't, I, I would like to see something a little more racy, maybe some one-off liveries every now and then. I yeah, don't know. I, I just, I can't do the green. It doesn't, doesn't, you, you see that Red Bull in person and you're just like, that car is gorgeous. The Ferrari yeah. too, that Ferrari red, you see it in person, yeah. man, the, the cameras don't do it justice. You see the Aston Martin, it looks just like it does on TV and it's that, that glossy <laughs> green and it's just like, not feeling it. Well, and we'll with that, top tech 
tips for Aston Martin. Change your color. <laughs> change your color. You want to be a dynasty? Change your color. Fix your fucking car. Fix your fucking color. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess that's it. We don't have much other Formula One news no, right now. Not at all. Uh, we're, we're still, still waiting no on Baku. Land. Um, so we'll keep uh, pumping out random content to hopefully keep everyone engaged and uh, listening. There we go. Well, unless you got anything else, I think that's uh, going to be a wrap for this one, Dylan. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, as always, if you like this podcast, make sure and leave us a rating and a review and make sure and share it with a friend. And on that note, stay classy, America. Dylan's frozen. So, uh, I'm sure he said, stay classy, America, and I'll say, see you next time. (laughs) Did you? Fix your fucking Wi-Fi. Did you say it? Yeah, I did. You've been crystal clear this whole time. I keep seeing you always, whenever (laughs) I freeze, you make a funny face and see you start making markers, and I'm like, I'm apparently frozen right now, but I can see you. (laughs) All right, cool. All right, well, see you next time. (laughs) 